Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, my name is Laura Boyle, and I'm your host. You can find us at the blog at www.readyforpolyamory.com. We update several times a week, usually Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm not consistent enough to say every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but I really do try. So, this week, we are going to be talking about insecurity and polyamory with Seva, who many of you may know as a friend of this podcast. Uh, before we get to that, you know how last week we talked about legal progress that polyamorous people have made and some hypothetical things that might happen in the future for polyamorous people? Well, one of those really nice possibilities did happen. Last Monday, March 8th, 2021, Cambridge, Massachusetts became the second city in the United States to uh, amend its domestic partnership ordinance to include the possibility of more than two people being included in a domestic partnership. And it amended it in a way that allows for a lot of really cool possibilities uh, for the way that those partnerships are recognized. I'm going to include in the show notes uh, the link to the blog post that addresses that in a lot more detail, including a great comment from the Polyamorous Legal Advocacy Coalition. Uh, so click that and go check it out. Thanks. So now we're going to move forward and talk with Seva about insecurity and polyamory and the ways that you can use polyamory to move forward past your insecurities. So here's season two, episode 12. So I'm here with Seva and we're going to be talking a little bit today about insecurity and how polyamory can actually be a kind of tool for working through and coping with some of these personal insecurities. I know for me, insecurity is one of those things that I'm not sure I'm ever going to entirely overcome so much as like subsume into different directions, into different parts of my life. But a lot of my kind of gradual processes of overcoming it or moving it into different parts of my life and my personality have certainly been reflected through the lens of my polyamory. I don't know if that's been the case for you too. Yeah, it's it's funny like you mentioned doing this podcast and, you know, this specific episode and I I thought to myself I'm like oh oh, oh yeah. <laughs> this is this has definitely like changed how I view myself and my insecurities. And, you know, I've always just kind of been like, well, I've done an absurd amount of therapy. So that must just, <laughs> it's all that. Yeah. Like to some extent it's, well, I guess I've done enough reflection that maybe some good must have come of it somewhere. Yeah. But no, I, you know, I started thinking about it and I'm like, you know, I have, I'm very aware of my insecurities, self-esteem issues, and specifically as it pertains to relationships and how I view myself next to others. And it kind of just occurred to me, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I, 
being polyamorous and being in these relationships, it's really helped me kind of not eradicate completely, but kind of grow through some of those, those insecurities. Yeah. I think it's, some people would see it as maybe kind of ironic, but in having to look some of my self-worth and some of the sort of root issues that are beneath my jealousy in the face, I've had to address a lot of these issues a lot more head-on than I might have had to in a monogamous framework. Like, in having to address moments where maybe I didn't feel great about myself because I was having feelings of low self-esteem about how I was going to compare to metamors or to prospective metamors and having to sort of grapple with those feelings more directly. I had to grow through a lot of those moments and really acknowledge some of those feelings as opposed to if I hadn't had to like look at those so that I didn't, uh, if I didn't have to look at them so that I could avoid kind of blowing up situations for myself and my partners, uh, if I hadn't had to do that work, I might've just had some of these issues sort of sitting on my back burner and sort of festering there for another several years or another decade or whatever, before I came around to actually dealing with them. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Um, I have a, a tendency to, you know, as I think a lot of us do compare myself to others and hyperfixate on my flaws and then those insecurities they just like fester in me and I am really 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 good at blowing shit up and just lashing out and pushing everybody away but doing that in a polyamorous situation it kind of like you need to be okay with wrecking your life, possibly wrecking your partners, possibly wrecking your metamors, because everybody's involved. And it's kind of like, you know, yeah, sure. If, you know, if you really want to be that person, like you can, but if you also want to grow and, you know, be in these healthy relationships, it's kind of like, well, I guess I need to be uncomfortable for a bit. Right. You don't get to do the same sort of, I'm just going to have a bad day and have one fight and then have someone at the end be like, no, it's okay. Like, this was bad, but we're fine in quite the same way because you blow up a lot more people's spot, right? Yeah. So I ended up having to do a lot more work to sort of figure out where all of these feelings were coming from out not necessarily ahead of time but sort of having to sit with them and like 
interrogate the feelings, right? So in doing some of this self-interrogation, I figured out what some of my personal root cause things were. And a lot of the time for me, it was an issue of not having met people yet or not knowing people well enough and sort of automatically building them up into structures made out of my own insecurities. I would flesh them out with imaginings constructed out of my insecurities. And so for me, it became that I built out my own sort of personal, okay, in order to not build monsters out of my insecurities, I'm going to carefully combat my insecurities by making sure I know humans. And those humans will be my friends and my polycule and my community. And so doing that like personal connection-based community building work and incorporating new partners and new prospective partners into that community as soon as sort of their boundaries and mine allow for it has really ended up helping me with my insecurities. And so it's something that if anyone were to ask me my advice, that would be it. And like, so for me, when somebody asks if there's anything that I think helps with insecurities in polyamory, that would usually be my like, number one thing is like, make sure you meet people. Don't just imagine what people are like ask for real concrete information and see if you can meet people because otherwise you like make up an entire community and an entire polycule for your partner's extended network that are always way better than reality. They're always like all supermodel astrophysicists who are way better in bed than you. (laughs) Yes who always have perfect hair and perfect brains and know every trick in the Kama Sutra. Right. And like, none of us can live up to that. No. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. (laughs) Uh, Well, I literally you know, at one point during, during the pandemic, when, you know, numbers weren't quite as bad, my, my primary partner um, went to visit one of his, his uh, play partners. And he came back and like, you know, I, I, I love this person. I think they're wonderful. And I'm always kind of like, yeah, 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 go see them, go see them because I need a night to myself. Um. But he came back and he's like, oh, yeah, they like got their leg up and we did this crazy thing. And I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do that. Should I feel bad that I can't do that? I'm definitely not that flexible. Is that is that going to be okay? And then I had to like, no, you're fine. You can just because you can't wrap your head around or your feet around your head doesn't mean you're bad at sex. <laughs> But, but in all, in all, you know, seriousness, no, what you're, what you're saying, like, I, you know, 
it probably helps that you've probably been one of the people who I've talked to the most about all of my insecurities and, you know, especially as I was kind of still getting used to the whole poly world. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of sitting with yourself and kind of, you have to be okay with being uncomfortable because in the long run, it's going to be better for you and better for everyone. But yeah, I'm also of the mindset that you can really build someone up to these mythological proportions in your head. And in reality, what typically winds up being the case for me is that they're too similar to me. But I think that they must be better than me. (laughs) Yeah, it's usually that somebody is like, in some way similar to us or in some way different from us that's triggering right so it's either oh they're so similar to me that this one way that they're different must be a superiority or oh they're so different from me that only the one way they're similar to me must be the thing that my partner values everything else about me must be terrible (sighs) be still my heart right like and then you start the your brain starts swirling yeah swirling down right but all of that ends up leading for me to another thing about polyamory that is also because of that spiral that we just talked about kind of weirdly counterintuitive but the thing of your partner your partners continuing to choose to be with you is another thing that for me is really security building over time. And I know this sounds, it's not at all unique to polyamory, right? In every relationship that we're in, in every friendship that we're in, in every romantic relationship, the people who we're in that relationship with have to choose to continue to put in the effort to have whatever reciprocal relationship we have with them. But especially in a complicated system like polyamory, where there's a certain amount of, okay, love is infinite, but time isn't. And someone is choosing where to put their time. The continued choice to put that limited resource of time toward time and energy with us can be really security building over like months or years. So for me, that's something that really ends up building my security in a relationship. I end up going, okay, at like three months, I'm secure enough in something to go, Okay, now I want to meet all my metas. This is a real relationship. Let me start putting in roots here. Let me meet all the people so that I don't do the building up insecurities into monsters. Let me get comfortable here. Okay. At like six-ish months, if I'm actually feeling something, I can start saying it and not just being scared of my own feelings. Ooh. Right. At like a year, I can stop being terrified that they're going to disappear all the time. These are my own 
uh, abandonment issues speaking, right? Like, sorry, we're not talking about me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Maybe my problems are more common than I think you guys. Maybe that's the point of this podcast. Relatable content. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it's that issue. We bring to our partners the fact that we're consistently choosing to expend our time and our energy with them and toward them. And they're doing the same for us. And that ongoing choice is really security building in the long term, right? So I recently read the, so the, I read the book uh, Polysecure by Jessica Fern, which is actually really interesting. And it's more about attachment style uh, than about security in the sense of an insecurity versus security, the way we're talking about it. But uh, a secure attachment style in a relationship in, in the sort of common usage the way people throw it around is kind of like being insecure in this sense because when you're relearning relationship attachment as an adult you're training yourself out of insecure behavior and out of insecure attachment modeling and training yourself to model secure attachment behavior so like the way you train yourself to model secure attachment in relationships is essentially you just act like you're secure in the relationship until you find that you are. That's an interesting... That's an interesting uh, kind of concept. Um, So... Well, and her take on it for the book is that you don't have to, you can just be a secure, like a securely attached person and be polyamorous. And there's nothing contradictory about that. Oh, no, no. Of course. And that you can be securely attached to more than one person. And there's nothing contradictory about that either. Yeah. But that if you're not a securely attached person, as an adult, you can learn to be one by modeling it long enough. Yeah, I think that that definitely that's very interesting because, you know, as an as an adult, I'm I'm currently and I I mean currently as in like during the pandemic I got back into therapy and realized I am insecure attachment all day every day and I had no idea how to inter- like self-soothe myself. Um, just like I was completely incapable and I would, I I said, you know, I keep asking my partners to reassure me and, you know, give me this extra reassurance and it doesn't do anything. And my therapist was like, yeah, because you don't want it from them. You want it from yourself. And I was like, oh God, this is why I pay you the big bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Anxious attachment is hard. Like, you know, I've definitely had to sort of fake it until I make it a little bit but also you know it goes into different therapy styles and you Mm -hmm. know 
what things work for you. Um, and so, you know, in particular for me, I've been, you know, doing a lot of parts work and identifying different parts of myself. Mm -hmm. And I find that that's super helpful and is also really helpful when I identify like my polyamorous part. And that part of me is like, fuck yeah, I'm super secure, bitches. It's just everything else is a mess in me. <laughs> well, so her book is really interesting. And I'm actually really looking forward to she's teaching at the at Tethered Together at Tethered to Wi-Fi in a couple of weeks. So on Sunday, I'm going to her class. Uh, anyway, I'm excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh i'm looking forward to it because the book was interesting but a little bit dry and i hear she's a good speaker so uh but thinking about all of this the idea of sort of deriving relationship security from any of your partners consistently returning to your relationship and like you creating security for your partners from consistent return to your relationships seems like a really fundamental thing in polyamory because so many of us create sort of ongoing comforting things that we do with our partners when we get back together with them after we go out with other people for the first couple of times or when we start seeing someone new the first few dates afterwards when we see established partners we do something fun at the same time as we're telling them about our new dates with someone new so that we sort of build in that sharing our nre is fun and we like ritualize some of these items to make it like a shared experience right and all of these things have kind of made the sharing part of polyamory, for lack of a better way of expressing that, kind of a core fun part of this openness being part of what's security building about it, right? Like the open part of my non-monogamous relationships is part of what's fun about it for me yeah yeah and like i know for me you know i've i have three i have three partners uh one of which i i live with as you know i know i've mentioned on here before and i'm sometimes on here with him um and you know, we live together and I noticed, and this, this started probably when I when before we even started living together and, and whatnot, but it became even more apparent when we were that when he would go on out on dates, I would anticipate him coming home and then wanting to like, and then him being disappointed by me. And I would just anticipate that so intensely that I wasn't able to be happy that he had a nice time 
even if compersion isn't something that is a feeling that comes supernaturally to me, I can still be, you know, glad that my partner had a nice time, a nice evening, nice date, whatever. Um, and I just, there was no enjoyment for me. And then I kind of realized like, you don't need to anticipate him wanting to leave you because he comes home to you every time or he comes back to you and he always tells you like, oh, I'm so excited to go on a date with you. I'm so excited to do something with you because, you know, we, we found that, you know, you go on a date and you have a great time with somebody and then you come home and you're like, no, I want to have a great time with this partner too. And I managed to shift my perspective over time. And now for both of us, whenever either of us come up, go on dates and depending on with who it's with or, you know, for how long we have certain routines when we come home to each other and come back to each other. And it winds up being this really enjoyable experience. And there's a lot less of the, you know, oh, he's going to leave me because I can't put my foot behind my head. Mm -hmm. I must start doing more yoga. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, it's, you know, a lot of it is being patient with yourself and with your partners. And a lot of it is just kind of trying not to be a dick. <laughs> and then trying not to be a dick for so long that you actually manage to not be one. <laughs> right. And so much of it is just managing not to be a dick to yourself and not to get in your own way. Right. Like a lot of this. So good was, at that. <laughs> right. Like I'm not super great at that part either. Like I figured out how not to be a jerk to myself by trying so hard to not be a jerk to everybody else. Like I worked in circles to be like, okay, so if I'm making sure that I'm not being a jerk to Alice and Bob over there and I'm making sure that Dan and Carol are having a good time, then I'll also have a good time by the end of it, right? And eventually that absolutely became the case because I was still having fun with all of them independently. And for me, that let me relax enough that it was like, wait, along the way, I realized that now I'm not comparing myself to any one of those people or any other person randomly running past me on the street to a much greater extent than before. And maybe some of that is just that I got older and along the way started giving a lot fewer fucks. But I don't think it's entirely that, right? Like, yeah. I'm still a slightly dumpy mother of two who like wears hoodies that don't quite fit and had four surgeries in the last year. I know that it's not the greatest look on earth, although my haircut is remarkably good for someone whose only hairdresser in the last year has been a surgeon. Um, I was thinking your hair looks lovely. It's an amazing grow out, you guys. It's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I'll have to post a selfie as a picture on the blog sometime soon. <laughs> but Credit your surgeon. Yeah, no, really. She, my last hairdresser is the surgeon in November. Buzzed my hair off. 
this is just it grew out and I comb it and use a little pomade. <laughs> it's a great look. Um, I'm super excited for when I can get the vaccine and then feel safe going to the hairdresser again. Um, but really, in general, I think that all of this stuff when you're in a place where you're feeling kind of ruled by your own insecurities, you end up making a lot of short-term choices out of fear. You end up choosing a lot of things that end up doing a disservice to you and your partners and your metas in sort of knee-jerk ways that hurt all of you in the really short term. So like when I was with my ex-husband, some of some of my metas really kind of scared me because he was with a lot of people who were a lot younger than me. Uh, he was involved with a lot of he was involved in theater. And a lot of the people who he was in shows with were a lot younger than him. And he was seeing several of them. And not by like some terrible age gap, just enough that they were younger than me. And it was kind of threatening to me at the time. And so some of them, I was just kind of like, oh, I'm not even going to meet these people. Uh, they can come by the house when I'm at work or whatever. By, and I worked second shift at the time so this was pretty simple they'd come over when I was at work I'd come home from work and never see people and in hindsight this made shit super awkward like I was vaguely aware that people had been to my house because like stuff would appear or disappear or like Sheets would get changed or not get changed or the bed would be rumpled. Or it would be like, oh, why is this stuff backwards in the living room? Oh, well, this person was over. Oh, who's that? This girl I'm seeing from there. Oh. Okay. And I just wouldn't meet people or hear really about them until there was a problem. It was like the strangest borderline don't ask, don't tell until like we'd go to the opening night of a show and suddenly I'd be introduced to someone who it's like, oh, this person's been like my meta for three months and I don't know them. Crap. Who is this person? They're like trying to give me a hug. I don't know them. They're super excited to meet me. What is this? Uh, guys, the level of sight gag I'm doing here, I'm committing to the bit and no one can see it. It's, it's impressive. <laughs> anyway, my point is, I guess, that if you want to save yourself the level of cringiness that I was experiencing <laughs> and others who are like your friends and who care about you 
the level of awkward interaction just from having to be around that. <laughs> Bite the bullet a little bit. Sit with your feelings the first time instead of the second, third, fourth after you like run yourself down a hill into it. <laughs> Because I did some version of this pattern like four or five times in a row before I went, oh, I kind of have to address that I'm not addressing this, don't I? I kind of hate admitting that I make mistakes repeatedly before I actually address them, but I do, you guys. I'm right there with you. I'm not great at learn from it the first time. I have to hit my head on the brick wall a few times first for most things. Yeah. I'm, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I started this whole polyamory thing when I was 20. And so I was, I mean, I was 20. I was a bit of an idiot. You know, I was still in college because you can't be 20 and not also be a little bit of an idiot. Yeah. Look, I was 19 when I started. I, nothing I did for the first several years was smart. Right. And that's the thing is like at a certain point for me, I, I'm like, you know, oh yeah. Like, you know, I was young and, and stupid, but then I was like, I'm slightly older and I'm still kind of stupid about this, I guess. <laughs> and then I was like, well, shit, I don't really have much of an excuse anymore. And like, I, I would, you know, I excel at being petty. And this is why we're friends. <laughs> and so I would just like, I would think like, all right, well, I'm just going to tell my partner, I don't want to hear anything about this person because, you know, I don't like them or I don't like some of the things they're doing or or whatever and so I just I don't want to hear any of it hmm. hair flip <laughs> you know all of that and then I realized I'm like god this, is, this doesn't make my life easier because now I'm just sitting here internalizing like oh god they're spending their date and they're just talking about how awful I am and I just it, it's it's everything you don't know and it just the story you make up for what they're thinking is almost certainly worse than what they're actually thinking and saying but you can torture yourself for years years i think i still torture myself but yeah so and basically it's always better to confront your feelings do the work and move forward take it from us we fucked up for years before we confronted our feelings and did some of the work. And it's a honestly, Corwin is still with me based on how <laughs> I was in those early years. Oh, God. Honestly, the structure of polyamory is flexible enough to allow for you to either address or not address all of these things, just like every other relationship structure, right? But if you want to do the work, it's really well suited for you to do some of this work and move forward with a stronger underlying structure, right? And to kind of continue growing 
in the structure that you want to greater security. And honestly, that, you know, that continued choice. And and for me, every time, every time my partners go on dates with people, it kind of, but still come back and are still excited about me, are still looking forward to doing things with me. I still get sweet texts from them or, you know, or whatever. It makes me feel better and better each time. And so, you know, it it's the more the more your partners kind of go out and meet new people, I, I kind of look at it now as each time it's an opportunity to continue growing and continue adding something positive to my life. And the fact that they keep coming back and keep wanting me and you know, my, my three partners who I've, I've been with to different degrees for multiple years now, it's honestly a great boost for my self-esteem. I'm like, damn, mm-hmm. some of these people really like, they've picked some hot partners and like, you, oh, you had sex with them. Damn, good for you. And then I'm like, oh, and, and you still want me? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I am quite nice to look at, aren't I? And so it's it's been really nice. Like, you know, your, your partner, they, they choose to be with you for a reason. Like, they like my brain. They like my body. They like whatever about me. And so, you know, allowing that growth of past your insecurities or through your insecurities really can allow for other avenues to open up and make you into kind of a more well-rounded human being. Exactly. Thank you so much for talking with me about this and for rounding out this season of the podcast with me. It's been amazing. And and hopefully we will have you back sometime next season. So I'll be back in just a couple of weeks with season three. Until then, of course, the blog will be back on Monday and several times during the week, every week. Uh, So that's www.readyforpolyamory.com. And as always, you can continue supporting us at the Patreon so that we can keep the podcast rolling starting in a couple of weeks. Uh, That's patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory. If you like any particular episode or blog post, you can always throw a coin in our hat at ko-fi.com slash ready for polyamory. I'd appreciate it very much. And if you have special requests or questions, I'd love an email at readyforpolyamory at gmail.com. And I'll try to incorporate them into next season or into a post on the blog Uh, if that's something that's sort of more easily addressed in text format rather than in a conversation. Thanks a lot, and I'll see you next season. Mm